Chapter Nine of the Ordeal of Elizabeth by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. And so you let all this nonsense influence you? Halleck asked this bitterly, staring up with moody eyes into Elizabeth's face. They were sitting under a wide spreading tree in a field not far from the homestead. It was late afternoon and the shadows were long and peaceful. A ray from the sinking sun shot through the foliage overhead, lighting up the red tints of Elizabeth's hair. Halleck's artistic eye rested upon them, fascinated. He had never, as he told himself, been so much in love before. "'You give me up because of a little opposition?' he went on bitterly, roused to increased irritation by the thought of losing her. "'Why, what can I do?' The girl's voice was weary, and she threw out her hands with a helpless gesture. "'They will give in to me, I suppose, if I insist. But it makes them too unhappy. I believe it would kill them. If they were unkind, I shouldn't care. But they only cry, and are so wretched, and I can't stand it. It makes me feel so ungrateful.' "'And yet,' said Halleck anxiously, you think they will give in in the end? Oh, yes, they'll give in, said Elizabeth wearily. They'll give in if I insist. And that's the very reason why I... Well, what makes it so hard, you see? No, I don't see, said Paul bluntly. If you think they will give in, why are you so unhappy? But I understand how it is, he went on harshly. You don't love me. I'm too far beneath you. A bohemian, an outcast, you're glad of an excuse to throw me over. Paul! The indignant color flushed into Elizabeth's face. How can you say such things? she asked reproachfully. You know they are not true. I told my aunts that I would never give you up. I told them that, that I would marry you tomorrow if I could. You told them that? Paul exclaimed exultantly. He put his arm around her and drew her toward him. "'Then keep your word, darling,' he said. "'Marry me to-morrow.' Elizabeth shrank away, startled. "'Marry you?' she repeated. "'To-morrow? How could I?' "'Why not?' said Paul quietly. "'Come up to Cranston, and we'll be married. "'Then let them say what they please.' Elizabeth was very pale. "'I couldn't do that,' she said in a low voice. "'I don't want to be married so soon, and besides—' It would kill my aunts. He laughed. Nonsense. People soon resign themselves to what they can't help. And then they needn't know yet a while. Listen, darling, this is my plan. You know that I want to go abroad. Well, I've had a letter offering me a position in an opera company in Munich. If I accept it, I start this week. He stopped as Elizabeth gave a little cry and stared up at him with reproachful eyes. This week, she said. You go away this week? Why, I can't stay here forever, you know, Paul said. I've idled away my time unconscionably already. But that is your fault, Elizabeth. Now it is time I went to work, and that is why I say, marry me before I go. Then, while I'm away, nothing can separate us. Elizabeth, pale and thoughtful, seemed to ponder the suggestion. Marry you she repeated slowly. "'Marry you. Now, at once?' "'Yes, to-morrow,' said Paul boldly. 
and and keep it secret she went on with a troubled look yes for a little while said paul for a few months till i come back i shall have made my name and my fortune darling i hope by that time and your aunt will be quite reconciled to me then wouldn't it be better said elizabeth with much reason to wait till then are you willing to wait in uncertainty all this time he asked reproachfully oh elizabeth it's evident that you don't love me as i love you such an absence would be unbearable to me if i felt that some lover was likely to come along at any time and take you from me elizabeth could not help reflecting that the danger of such a catastrophe did not seem imminent in the present condition of the neighborhood but she did not put the thought into words she only said with some dignity i don't think that i am the sort of girl to change so easily oh you can't tell said paul women are fickle beings i don't trust you elizabeth i have a feeling that if you don't marry me now you never will and why should you hesitate he went on eagerly it isn't so much that i ask i don't even say come abroad with me now only give me the certainty that when i come back i shall be able to claim you you would have that certainty now she still insisted i promise that i will marry you when you come back then why not marry me now he asked triumphantly elizabeth could give no reason to the contrary the idea was vaguely alarming yet it held for her a certain fascination she sat listening in troubled uncertainty while paul discoursed with enthusiasm over the many advantages of his plan he was exceedingly anxious as he had said to make sure of this beautiful girl who was he vaguely felt a little above him of a grade superior to that of the other girls whom he had known and made love to for the space of a fortnight perhaps he had been true to elizabeth now for more than double that time he really believed that he should be true to her always there were other things that attracted him besides her beauty the thought that elizabeth was miss van vorst of the homestead was not unpleasant to him the old house the family silver the family traditions appealed to his artistic sense of fitness and then though he was no fortune hunter and certainly would have made love to no girl whom he did not for the moment at least sincerely admire he admitted to himself frankly that it was by no means inconvenient that elizabeth should have a little money of her own and the prospect of more in the future the van vorst property while it was insignificant enough when measured by the standard of the van antwerps and other rich people in the neighborhood seemed by no means contemptible to paul who measured it by the standard of poverty-stricken bohemia elizabeth's feelings were more complex less frankly selfish much more anxious and uncertain the money question did not enter into them to any great extent though she had an instinctive dread of poverty and she was convinced that once married to paul she would not be able to have the pretty gowns and other luxurious trifles which had hitherto seemed a necessity of life but she was young and romantic and this thought did not weigh with her very much what most distressed her and made her feel in some way vaguely in the wrong was the trouble this her first love affair seemed to bring to others to her aunts to amanda she loved her aunts and hated to run counter to their wishes she did not love amanda and yet the thought of having injured her though unconsciously brought with it an uncomfortable sense of guilt 
She had not seen her since that terrible interview, which she could still not recall without a feeling of humiliation. But she had seen her aunt, who told her that Amanda was ill with some low fever, typhoid malaria, probably. There was always a good deal of that at the mills. It was not considered wise that Elizabeth should see her, and besides, Amanda was delirious, and did not recognize any one. Elizabeth was more relieved than sorry to hear it. No doubt, she told herself, Amanda was already out of her head when she uttered that extraordinary outburst, and it was foolish to attach any importance to what she said in her feverish excitement. Still, Elizabeth did not like to think of it, much less of the promise she herself had given voluntarily, in such forcible words. She had been so absolutely sincere in making it, and she had broken it so completely within the hour. The whole affair was unpleasant, and weighed upon her more than those more serious charges against Paul, which had fallen vaguely upon her ear, not seeming to make any deep impression. His conduct to Amanda was at its worst, a mere trifle in comparison. Still she could not give him up. That broken promise to Amanda only proved this the more strongly. She could not face the prospect of life without him and yet she could not face, without terrible misgivings, the prospect of further tears and remonstrances from her aunts. The two claims struggled for the mastery. On the one hand, the claims of the women who had brought her up, whose every thought for twenty years had centered in her. On the other, the claims of the man who had loved her in his light way some five weeks. Under these circumstances it was inevitable that the claims of the man should predominate, and yet Elizabeth longed to satisfy them both. Paul's plan seemed to suggest a compromise, and Elizabeth had not yet learned that compromise is never satisfactory to either side. "'Listen,' she said, looking at him intently, with eyes that seemed to hold even in the moment of yielding a certain defiance of his power. "'If I do as you wish, if I—' I marry you to-morrow. I am free to—to come home at once, to go on with my life as if nothing were changed, not to tell my aunts, not to tell any one till you come back. Do you promise this on your word of honor?" For a moment Paul hesitated. He had hardly expected her to yield so easily. Perhaps if he pressed the matter she might be persuaded even to go abroad with him at once. But— there were financial reasons which made that inexpedient just then. On the whole, Paul decided not to test his power too far. "'Upon my word of honor," he said, looking her steadily in the face, "'I promise that you shall be free as air, to go on with your life as you please, till I come back to claim you.' And so the thing was settled. Paul was to go to Cranston early the next morning to make all necessary arrangements. Elizabeth was to follow him a little later. They were to be married at once. Then Paul was to take an afternoon train for New York, and Elizabeth was to return home. The whole affair should remain a secret. Then Paul, radiantly triumphant, clasped Elizabeth in his arms and pressed his lips to hers. "'Tomorrow,' he whispered, "'tomorrow, my darling, at this time—' though the world won't know it, still you will be my wife." A strange feeling thrilled Elizabeth. She could not have told if it were pleasure or some involuntary presentiment. 
but aloud she repeated mechanically, "'Yes, I shall be your wife.' "'You won't fail me, dearest,' he said, scanning her face eagerly. "'You won't break your word. You've promised. You won't fail me.' "'No,' Elizabeth answered. "'I have promised. I won't fail you.' And yet the thought crossed her mind irrelevantly that she had broken a promise once already. She left him and went home through the stillness and the fast-gathering shadows of the evening. The days were already growing shorter. She noted the fact mechanically, noted, too, that the deep-glowing crimson of the sunset foretold a hot day for the morrow. She entered the house and looked in at the dining-room. The table was set out for tea with all the wonted care. Her aunts sat each at one end. They were neither of them eating, and both had red eyes. In the center of the table stood Elizabeth's favorite cake, the kind with the raisins in it, which she used to beg for as a child, and which was reserved either as a reward for virtue or for consolation in some childish trouble. Now in this trouble that was so far from childish, poor Miss Joanna had bethought herself of the old attention, and brought out the favorite cake as the only means of comfort within her power. Elizabeth could not see it without a lump in her throat. She smoothed her ruffled hair before the glass, and came in quietly to her usual place at the table. They looked up nervously at her entrance, but neither spoke. They did not reproach her with being late, or ask where she had been. Miss Joanna pressed upon her the various dainties, reminding her that she had eaten no dinner. Otherwise the meal was a silent one. It was not till near the end of it that Elizabeth spoke, in a strained, harsh voice unlike her own. "'Paul is going away,' that was what she said. "'He has an engagement to go abroad. He goes to New York to-morrow. I—I hope you're satisfied.' And then she stopped, for the look of tremulous relief on both their faces was almost more than she could bear. The raisins in her favorite cake seemed suddenly to choke her. She began to doubt, after all, whether she would go to Cranston the next day. End of chapter 9